Let's bow our heads in prayer together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this time in your word, this gathering, this uh, special moment in which we are inviting your Holy Spirit to descend, to fill these words, to meet our hearts, to change our lives, all these grand expectations we have when we open your word. We pray that you would meet us. Uh, We pray that you would bless this time. Uh, We pray that you would uh, use me in my thoughts and my words. Uh, The weak servant, limited servant that I am, uh, would you please uh, use me and uh, speak to all of our hearts, myself included, every person here. You know what we need. Jesus, come meet our needs by your grace and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed how uh, some of the most popular TV shows have centered around the theme of relationships and the challenges of being a family? One great example, for example, is This Is Us. Any fans out there, right? A popular show. Or how about other shows about being a family, like Modern Family, any watchers out there? Or maybe going back a little bit in time, the Donna Reed show? Do the Simpsons count? I don't know, right? A lot of these shows have actually, if we think about it, shaped what we think in our minds what a family is. Uh, they shaped what a family in our minds could be. Uh, sometimes we covet the powerful bonds that the people in these shows share with each other. Sometimes we cringe at the pain of their dysfunction. Sometimes because they remind us of our own. And so we get hooked on watching the, the Crawley family in Downton Abbey. And we watch Lorelai and Rory and the Gilmore Girls. George and Louise and the Jeffersons. There's the Arnold family in the Wonder Years, the Johnson family in Blackish, and the Bunker family and all in the family. And I don't know if they count, but let's go ahead and list the House of Lannister from the Game of Thrones, right? (laughs) And at times, these TV families depict the family you always wanted. At other times, they depict the families that you're still running away from. After all, for some of us, family's been one of life's greatest gifts and blessings. For others, family has been one of life's greatest pains. For many of us, it's a mix, isn't it? And maybe your image of a family hasn't really been shaped by TV at all. Maybe you're sort of blinking, not really connecting in these moments. But all I'm really wondering and inviting you to wonder is this. How does it process in your hearts what, you, what do you hear? What images come to your mind? What expectations? What fears? How does it process in your hearts when you hear that the Bible calls the church, our church, to be a family? To be a family. Last week, we kicked off a new sermon series that we're calling One Another. It's based upon this word that we actually find in the New Testament close to 60 times. A Greek word that's typically translated one another or each other. And it's a word that's actually the word other combined with the word for other a second time, almost as if to refer to what happens when two others are joined together, when they become one in relationship. 
Again and again, the Bible lists off ways in which we are to engage one another in love and community. Forgive one another, serve one another, encourage one another, bear one another's burdens. We're together seeking to get back to the basics of relationships and Christian community. Uh, Relationships are hard. They don't come easy and they don't come automatically. When was the last time you intentionally applied yourself to be a better friend to a person in the church? To be a better one another partner to a person in the church. We're getting back to the basics of relationships in Christian community. Last week, we started off by looking at this phrase, spur one another on. As you meet together, as you encourage one another. This week, we're focusing on this, which you find in verse 10 of the passage. Be devoted to one another in love. And what's actually lost a little bit in our translation is the fact that the two phrases in this sentence, be devoted and in love, are actually both family words in the ancient text. They're both family words. Be devoted is actually a word for family tenderness. Uh, affection that's shared mutually by parents and, and, and children and, and spouses. It's, it sort of describes the natural bond that relatives share one with another. And that word in love, there are lots of different words for love in the Greek language. This one here is Philadelphia. And for all of you from that region, you know that that word means the city of Well, it's not the city of brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. The word refers to brotherly or sisterly love, sibling love. There's a different word in verse 9 where the apostle says, love must be sincere. That's the Greek word agape. And so we know his use of this family term is intentional, distinct. It's meant to draw our focus. We're called to be a family together. Commentator and teacher and author John Stott wrote this, that both words here were originally applied to blood relationships in the human family. But Paul reapplies them to the tender, warm affection which should unite the members of the family of God. We're called to love one another like family. After all, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are part of his family. Earlier parts of the book of Romans that we're in here today actually touch on this fact. This is one of the blessings of the gospel. That God God takes strangers and even enemies of his. And he not only forgives them of their sin... He not only counts you as righteous in his sight, he brings you all the way into the bosom of his heart. He calls you his child. He adopts you into his family. It's what we learn about in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, where it says, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, a spiritual adoption. And by him, by this spirit, we cry to God, Abba, Father. We have a father now. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Some have called this the highest blessing that the gospel grants to us in Christ. To be called a child, a son, a daughter, a member of God's family. Do you know if you're in Christ, that is what you are. That is who 
you are. The book of Ephesians chapter 2, 19 calls the church a, a bunch of members of God's household. 1 Peter 2, 17 calls the church the family of believers. And 1 Timothy 5 says this to members of the church, encourage an older man in the church as you would a father. A younger men as brothers, uh, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. And so we find ourselves in chapter 12 here in Romans, where Paul has moved from declaring all the incredible richness of what Christ has done for us, and now he transitions to a section where he's talking about the implications of that, how that changes our lives, not just what we should believe, but now how we should behave. And so he says in the first verse of this chapter, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, be what you already are. Be a brother, a sister, a mother, a father to one another. Why? Because that is what you already spiritually are as the family of God. Because Christ has made God your heavenly father and he's brought you into his family. This is an important and very practical word for us. Like we mentioned last week, too often in our church and in other churches our size, even as small as we might feel, it can be easy to feel lost like a stranger. This shouldn't be. What does it look like to engage one another, even if you're new or newer to the church, to engage each other not as uh, indifferent strangers? And not even of worshiping consumers, not as individuals, but as a family. What does this look like, though? I'm going to give you four things from this passage. Practically, what does it look like? What does it feel like to be a family? Number one, affection. Affection. Remember that word that's in verse 10 here that's, The key part of this passage is be devoted to one another. That's a word that means sharing family-like affection. Those are our feeling words. And so that means we're talking more than just about loving people, even if you don't like them. Uh, Too many of us let ourselves off the hook uh, by saying, yeah, we're called to love, but it doesn't really mean you need to like each other. The Bible says, no, you bring not just your stuff serving one another, you bring your heart. After all, that is what God in Christ has done for you. True family means opening your heart to one another. You ask, well, how do I get there? Maybe you don't feel that towards one another. Let me just offer one practical thing. We're going to move through these fairly quickly. So I'm not going to say everything there is to say about these subtopics. But let me just say one thing. How do you cultivate affection for one another? A brotherly or sisterly or fatherly or motherly affection towards one another. First of all, I think what we need to do is to let our spiritual identity define our relationships more than our personalities and our preferences. 
And what I mean by that is it's just true when we walk into a room, when we walk into church, when we walk into a time of being together in the church, we just immediately tell ourselves, well, they're not really that close to me, or I don't really know them, or hey, we don't really naturally get along. This is a a spiritual reality that is birthed by the power of the Holy Spirit, this kind of affection. It has nothing to do with what you just naturally feel for one another. So even if your personalities don't click, even if your preferences about the kind of movies you like or the sports team or football team that you're rooting for this evening aren't on the same page, or maybe you have nothing in common in terms of the walks of life that you have, your spiritual identity, the person that God has made you to be, is a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, a member of the family of God. That is your primary identity in the family of God. Will you let that sort of start to change the way you look at and feel about other people? So practically, what does that look like? I think it starts with a change in language. A change in language. So how do you think of yourself, especially in regards to the church community? A lot of ourselves kind of have a, a strolling list of identities. A lot of times in this town, it starts with our work, our occupation. So we say, well, what, who are you? What are you? I'm a waitress. I'm a teacher. I'm a lawyer. You know, maybe it's your gender identity. I'm a woman. Uh, maybe it's your personality. You walk around in life primarily identifying yourself as an Enneagram number four or whatever it might be. Like that is, that is just practically, functionally how you think of yourself What if you woke up every morning and you told yourself, I'm a sister? What if you walked in through these doors every time you come on Sunday morning and you remind yourself, what am I primarily? A brother. Because I am a child of my heavenly father. What's the language that you use in your own heart and your heads to identify yourself? But then secondly, What's the language that you use as you identify one another? How do you think of one another? Again, to be practical, tell yourself the truth that the people around you, if they are in Christ, they are your brother and your sister forever. you got to remind yourself again and again that Christ has shed his blood for them and brought them into the same family as you, no matter how awkward you might find them or how awkward you might find yourself, no matter how little you have in common with them, call them in your mind and in your heart. That's my brother. That's my sister. You have to practice this with your words and with your self-talk before it becomes a functioning heart reality. You won't feel it if you don't talk like it. Family, right? And of course, that means also praying for them with the language of brother and sister. But we got to start talking like this. And so we're going to practice this right now. So please turn to the person next to you and say, hey, brother, or hey, sister, or hola, hermano, if you want to use whatever language you might need to do. Turn to the person around you and greet each other as a family. All right, that's enough. You're having too much fun. Listen, listen, having affection for one another starts with the way that we see each other, the way we talk about each other, 
the way that we feel about each other. And that begins to invite a kind of empathetic affection where you start to say to each other, well, if we're fa- how do families work? How do families work? Well, if it happens to one member of the family, it happens to all of us, right? So you start to walk through life with a new bond, a new attachment. If it happened to you, then it happened to me. So that when a big snowstorm comes in, if you're a member of this family, you start to think, I wonder how everyone's doing in this snow. Do you know that this is a fruit of believing that you're part of the family of God? When it snows, you think not just, oh gosh, how am I going to shovel my sidewalk? You're thinking, how's everyone else's sidewalks doing? You're thinking about others and not just yourself. Or when the government shuts down, you immediately start to scan through your mental list of people in their faces and you start to say, I wonder who's impacted. Who in the family is being hit by this? You care for each other. You give your heart to one another because you belong to one another. You're members of one another. Number one, affection, affection. Number two, priority. Number two, priority. Paul uses this metaphor, this language of being a family here, because it's one of our primary identities in Christ, being remade as family members, brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. And we get this, of course, from Jesus. In Matthew 12, for example, verse 49, Jesus, we're told, was sort of teaching and sitting around in a circle with other people in a house. And his mom, Mary, and his brothers were outside, apparently waiting for him. They didn't always like what he was doing as he was teaching, and they were sort of waiting for him outside. And some people noticed that, and they're like, dude, Jesus, you're busted. you got to go outside and talk to them. And what does Jesus say? Who are my mother and my brothers? And he points to the people all around him, and he says this, Here are my mothers and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. There's a sense in which Jesus was looking around to the covenant community that he was forming around him, and he said, Not that I don't love my mom and my brothers, but there's a sense in which this right here is my primary family. Ephesians 3.14 points us in the same direction. Paul there prays this. Listen to this profound prayer. I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I kneel before my heavenly Father before whom Every biological, earthly family here derives its origin, its name. Earthly, biological family, Paul is telling us, derives its meaning, its significance from the family of God, not the other way around. Or, to put it another way, spiritual family is actually not a metaphor based on biological family. It's the reverse according to God's design. It's the biological family that's actually a metaphor for the spiritual family, which is eternal. And therefore, primary. That's nuts, right? I mean, that's just not how we think of the church. That's not how we think about our own biological families, right? Which, of course, is not to say that our families of origin or our nuclear families don't matter, Right? Because yes, the Bible does tell us that the institution of the family 
is central to the way that God has structured society. The Bible leads us in that direction. So it's not to deny the significance of earthly families, but it is inviting us to dare to explore what it means that the family of God, the church, is actually the truest and most enduring form of family that we were intended to experience. It therefore should be the most defining kind of family for us. So, for example, for those of us with kids, as important as their experience of family in the home might be, what would it look like to raise our kids to believe that the family of Christ actually is their primary family? The family that is forever. What would it look like for all of us as adults even to view the church to be more defining to your identity than even relationships in your families of origin? Wow, what does that mean? We unpack that together in the life of our community. Of course, the church as primary family means that your brothers and sisters, your mothers and fathers gradually become the main people that you turn to when the junk hits the fan. I'm not saying that you neglect your primary sources of wisdom and input that you might have from other people, places, friends, family members. There's a sense in which the people here know most about what is most going on in life at ground level, isn't it? Being primary family means that this becomes the people with whom you most celebrate the big events in your life. It means that gradually over time, especially as you build up that family affection that we were just talking about, that this is the family that you most start to want to be with during the holidays. Or especially when it comes to these big rising moments in the life of the church as we celebrate Christ's resurrection and Easter, or maybe Christmas, or maybe other high points of the life of the church, you start to say, that's where I want to be. With my people, my brothers, my sisters. Even begin to develop traditions of gathering together as a primary spiritual family. You work your life around it just as you would, as we all do in some ways, around our families of origin. What does this look like for you? What would this look like for you? I just want to drop in another note for families with kids, and I was just thinking about this, and it applied to me personally, so I want to share it with you. Uh, Those of us with young children are sometimes just barely hanging on, and I feel that way on on many days, and even as our kids are sort of turning the corner, finding more stability, but sometimes you just find yourself circling the wagons just to survive, right? But if our spiritual family is our primary family, then we need to make sure, even as young families with chaos and kids and all of that, we need to make sure that we are always leaning towards letting other people in or pushing ourselves out. And we need to be careful intentionally of protecting family and, yes, even that all-valuable family time. We need to be careful about protecting that in a way that isolates you from the spiritual family of Christ. Because you and your family just might be the key, the biggest blessing to someone else's experience of the family of Christ. And you have that power to extend yourself in a way to give someone else the gift of family. That's number two priority. Number three, 
talk briefly about honor. Honor, family honor. You know, recently I was moved hearing the story of someone who years ago moved back home across country just to be with a younger sister who was in a vulnerable period in her life. Just dropped everything just to go home to be with her sister. You know, because that's what family does, right? You put other people first, you make sacrifices, you lift up the needs of others. This is what this calling really is. It's honoring one another. Verse 10, honor one another's above yourselves. Treat one another as, as valuable. Uh, put the needs of others above your own. It's almost this picture of a, of a sacrificial parent putting the needs of a child first or a thoughtful older sibling that lets the younger one go first to elevate others in the community. We live in a city that trains you to honor yourself, to think of yourself first, to build your own reputation, to be concerned about your resume, to make sure that you stand out somehow over against others. The gospel calls us to the opposite direction of downward mobility, uh, to not think less of yourself, but to esteem others, to treat others as being brimming with radiance as they truly are in Christ. Not only made in the image of God, but recreated and remade in the image of Christ, our Savior. And so family honors one another, celebrating the successes of each other, showing up at one another's graduations, uh, telling each other encouraging words that show our esteem and regard for each other. What would it look like for us to be a more honor, a mutually honoring community? And especially to do so for people that maybe don't have honor outside of the church walls. That we don't just adopt the value system of the world and just operate socially in the way that everyone else does. But because Jesus was a king who laid it all down and made himself a servant even unto death. That we too, by the power of his love, might do the same. To look for people that are dishonored in the world to make sure that they have the best seats of honor in this place. People that are judged because they may not have as much materially or educationally or in power or in money or in wisdom or in age. Where we can buck the trends of the world and say, no, in here it's different. In here we honor even those whom the world might consider less honorable. Because that's what Christ has done for us. Number four, sharing. You see this in verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. First, affection. Number two, priority. Number three, honor. And number four, we're called to share. And that word there in verse 13 comes from the same word for generosity. We see this in the stories of the early church in the book of Acts, where we're told in chapter two that all the Followers of Christ, they had everything in common. They just shared life together. Sharing their possessions with those who were more needy. Sharing their hearts with one another in prayer and fellowship. And we're called to do the same. Of course, sharing is hard. It's a good idea. Who, who would ever say out loud, no, I don't want to share. We're, we're sort of socialized enough to know that that's what we're supposed to do especially in religious community, that's what you're supposed to do, but it's hard. 
We can admit that. I'm as selfish as it gets. I want my needs to be met first, especially at home and oftentimes even at the church. Sharing is hard. I was reminded that even of that even this morning, trying to coach my youngest daughter into not grabbing a toy from her brother. I said, Noel, will you share? And with tears streaming down her face, she said, no! Right? With conviction and clarity, no! She's just giving words that we're not willing to speak. But we feel the same way, don't we? We need the power of the self-giving Lord, Jesus. Change our hearts to give him, give us a little bit of his heart. That sharing heart of his. Speaking of kids, this is one of the reasons why I love raising our kids in a city. Because cities force you to share. You're so pressed in next to each other, side by side, your homes, your cars, your streets, your everything. That you're sort of uh, learning in real life terms. Uh, Hey kids, we don't have our own sidewalk and driveway. We share this. Jesus is teaching us how to share. All this stuff doesn't belong to us. Our toys, that playground, it's not ours in our own backyard, fenced in. You're going to have to take turns, even when you want to take another round on the slide, because this is a shared slide. Uh, We share cars. We share transportation. Not a lot of things belong just to us in public life in a city like this. We share noise. We share airspace. Sometimes it's annoying and it's troubling, but this is part of being in shared life in a city. Sometimes our neighbors even insist on sharing in the air their recreational weed, right? You can't get away from it. We share air, right? We share our air. This is city life. Guess what? Cities train you for gospel life. Sharing. Because after all, it's this very sharing dynamic in cities that makes some people not want to live here. You just want to live in a place where it's just easier to just have everything belong just to you. You know where the lines are. It's mine and that's yours. Get out. (laughs) Right. We're learning to share. Every one of us. Sharing our time. Sometimes in a city like this, that's the most sacrificial calling. Sometimes it's easier to Give your your resources, because you could do that in a second. It doesn't cost you really anything. To give of your time, sometimes the most precious commodity. To give of your hearts, also hard in this city. We live guarded lives. We don't really let people in. Right? And the way we kind of like talk around our problems, or we pre-process them before we share them, or we don't really ask for help. Dear friends, to be a family means to ask for help. And then to give that help, brother to sister and sister to brother. Of course, to give of our possessions as well. To be able to meet needs of those that are just struggling. This is not just charity. This is family, right? It just is it's, it's a normal ethic of the kind of relationships you're supposed to be cultivating in the life of the church. And I was really appreciating a conversation that I had with one of our members just this past week. He was talking about sort of the challenges of financial giving and some of the challenges we faced in our church. And he was talking about his own tithes and offerings and sort of almost in passing, he was like, well, I give because this is sort of my local family, right? It was a family mindset that produced generosity in this person's heart. And that's right. And that's biblical for us to do. 
You know, being a family means jumping in and helping out, right? Even when you don't have a job or a title or a job description, right? I was trying to explain this to my daughter who the other day when we asked her to sort of help set up the table, she was like, you asked me to do everything. Seven years old, it's starting already, right? You asked me to, oh, yes, yeah. And we said, no, this is just what families do. You kind of just chip in, you help out. And sometimes mom and dad need to tell you to do that, sure. But will you chip in? Will you give? Will you love? Will you be a daughter? Will you be a sister? Will you be a brother? And so that's the way it is in the life of the church as well, where there's sort of this spontaneity where everyone's sort of looking around ready to help, where if someone spills something on the floor, you kind of see everyone jumping up and ready to help, not sitting back and saying, well, that's not my job. Look, if you're in the family, it is. No, that's not my problem. Look, if you're part of the family, it is. And not just your problem, but your privilege to be a part of love and community, and mission together. I love the way that Justin, our director of ministry and operations, yesterday in our membership seminar talked about just even how we're thinking about the different ministry teams that we have in the church. He he says it's sort of this invitation to help set the table of the family, right? In some ways, very close to literally cutting bread and pouring the juice and wine into the communion cups. That's what our communion team does, Music team members, they rehearse beforehand. People have to get ready to welcome people with the bulletins. Uh, children's teachers are preparing their lessons. There's preparation that get in, that, that's put in, and everyone is sort of setting the table for the feast of worship that we have in community together. You see, when you're a family, you just kind of say, I, I'll put the napkins on the table too, and I'll put the forks out, and here, let me pour the milk, and here, let me cook the food. See, this family mindset transforms even the way that we serve, even the way that we give, even the way that we love. I'm going to close up here just with this reminder that even as we talk about sharing with the Lord's people who are in need, that this too is an invitation to be free to be needy. Because we all are, just some of us in different ways. Some of us are very Obvious, visible, measurable needs, financial, material. All of us have emotional needs, relational needs. They just might not be as visible, or you might just be better at hiding them. No one here is not needy. Knowing no one here doesn't need the sharing grace of the family of Christ. Being true family means being free to ask for help. Being a family means feeling free to interrupt one another. I've loved, loved receiving calls recently over the past week or so, different people that say, hey, we just need some help. Can you help? Can you watch our kids? Can, can Can you hold our baby? Can you help fix this thing? Can you give me a hand? Can you lend a tool? Can you, what does it look like for you? Where we're a family, where it's okay to be needy, even to be failures because of the grace of God. Where even as we talk about family, where we don't over-idealize the idea of family in a way that crushes the very process of growing into that kind of family. Do not walk out of here saying, hey, we ain't that kind of family. We just ain't, right? Cynicism will kill this. The gospel gives us hope. We're all in process. We ain't the family we want to be. We're not. We're not. 
But by God's grace, we can be little by little, act by act, decision by decision, love by love, brotherly sister relationship by brotherly sisterly relationship. Are you willing to pursue this together? If our church were a TV show, I'm not sure what kind of family we'd be. I don't know. Maybe the Bundys and Married with Children. I don't know. Maybe the Lion family from Empire. I don't know. Hopefully not. (laughs) We're called to be a family. Love one another like a family. Love one another like a family because God in Christ has loved you like a father and like an elder brother. Meeting your needs, listening to you, sharing all that they have. Giving you not just practical needs, but pouring their heart with affection into your life. Love one another like family. Because don't you know, that is what you are, a family. Let's pray. Jesus, give us grace to live this. Most of all, give us joy and gratitude. Because you've made us into this. Help us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand up and let's sing.